Hey, this is Growing Pulse Crops, and I'm your host, Tim Hamrich. Today, we get things started with episode one. We have a fantastic overview lined up for you of the pulse crops industry overall, courtesy of the American Pulse Association CEO, Tim McGreevy. If you're new to pulse crops, they include crops such as field peas, chickpeas, and lentils. This show focuses on some pulse crop farmers through the growing season and dives into the research that's helping them through some of the challenges they face. We'll also talk to a number of industry stakeholders along the way. Tim is not only the longtime leader of the trade association, but also a pulse grower himself. He provides us with a great overview of some of the challenges and opportunities faced by this industry. Make sure you stick around to the end as Tim explains why he's so optimistic about the future of these crops. Tim starts our conversation off, though, by talking about the decade-long journey to get reliable funding in place for pulse crop research and development. We made an alliance, uh, created a new organization called the American Pulse Association, which you know represents peas, lentils, chickpeas, and uh, several members in the dry bean industry. And we have been, one, our primary mission actually was to create a research, a serious research program that would support pulse crops and their place in the health, nutrition, and sustainability of U.S. agriculture and the, you know, global citizens as well as U.S. citizens. And so it took us a while. They, they were started in 2010, but in 2014, we were successful in getting pulse crop health initiative actually in the farm bill. And so we are, we are a line item in the research title with an authorization up to $25 million to what the Congress could spend on this program to focus on health, nutrition, agronomic, and end-use research for peas, lentils, chickpeas, and, and dry beans. And that was the first time that that's happened? Oh, that was the first time that, w- that it's happened. And so we became not an earmark anymore. We became, in the Farm Bill, an actual priority within the Farm Bill, which was huge. But as we you know, quickly learned, being in the Farm Bill at an authorized level is a lot different than actually getting an appropriation for it. And so it took us uh, another four years <laughs> of trying to get an appropriation for uh, the Pulse Crop Health Initiative. But in 2018, we were successful in building the coalition that's needed if you're going to get anything done in Washington, D.C. Across party lines, bipartisan support for funding this. We received $2 million in 2018 for the Pulse Crop Health Initiative. We received $3 million in 2019. And in 2020, we received $4 million. And uh, we continue our quest to fund full authorized funding at $25 million for the Pulse Crop Health Initiative. And, it, and it's had a huge impact on our industry having that expanded research effort so we can really, really focus on the health benefits of these crops in diet, also uh, the nutritional benefits. And as we focus on more issues of regenerative ag, pulse crops are a huge part of a cropping system because they fix their own nitrogen in the soil. They, you know, they don't really require any nitrogen fertilizer or very little depending on the variety that you're growing. And they're terrific for soil health and breaking weed and disease cycles. So we are not the only answer. You know, we're farmers and we fully understand that, that we need all a variety of crops in a cropping system, but we're certainly a key player that has been, in terms of research, really undervalued and underfunded for years and years and years, and that's starting to change. 
Yeah. Now that you have the funding there, there's plenty of research talent interested in doing this type of work. How do you get that research that they are putting out, translate that into kind of consumer demand? How does that process go? Well, it's actually quite important. We had a an effort uh, in 2011. We started working with an organization called the Global Pulse Confederation, of which I serve as an officer or did at that time, still on their finance committee. We came up with an idea to actually ask the United Nations to support a designation of an international year of pulses because of the importance of pulse crops worldwide to feeding the world and also supporting sustainable agricultural systems around the world, not just in the United States, but these crops are important worldwide. And so the United Nations, after a great deal of effort, because it has to be approved unanimously by the General Assembly, we got that approved in 2013 for a designation of the International Year of Pulses for the year 2016. And so talk about coalition building. We were the first crop to do a private-public partnership with the United Nations, where we joined with them in in helping fund to make the International Year of Pulses the biggest event that we'd ever had. What was fun about it was our biggest competitor in, you know, peas, lentils, and chickpeas, and some dry beans is Canada. And here was an opportunity to completely blow the doors off, and actually we joined with Canada in a pre-competitive way saying, let's make this the biggest event ever. And so we joined forces, joined resources, worked with Canada, worked with the Global Pulse Confederation, and uh, we hired a great PR and ad agency and a social media strategy that was awesome. And we raised the profile of pulses to the point that uh, it was the launching point for the plant-based food movement, uh, where they realized, and the consumers were already kind of trending that way anywhere, saying, boy, you know, we need more plant-based foods in our diet. But 2016 really solidified that effort and in the minds of the public how important it is and how important pulse crops is to their health, to the nutrition, and also to the health of the planet. So that was a, a great launching point for this industry and has paid huge dividends for our industry because we have a growing domestic market now where we had been basically stagnant for years. Now you're seeing all kinds of exciting product innovation in plant, plant-based foods and pulses are a huge part of that innovation. We are in meat alternatives, we're in meat blends, we're in beverages, we're in baked goods, we're in pastas, we're in desserts, we are in everything now and it's growing. So in terms of product innovation, 2016, that international year of pulses was a paradigm shift for our industry into really becoming a more mainstream ingredient and being the product innovation from that time period and forward has just been incredible. Yeah. And it seems like, you know, that's the hard part of sort of, you know, getting the the, the fundamental demand, the wheels sort of turning on that front. And obviously we've got the ability to grow the crops. It seems like maybe the missing link is sort of the processing capacity domestically, at least to get it to consumer. Is there anything that is going on there that would be interesting to talk about as far as pr- more processing capacity domestically? Well, we have been in a pretty rapid growth rate Really, I came on board in 1994, and the total acreage, peas, lentils, and chickpeas at that time, was about 400,000 acres. 
And it was only really grown in Washington and Idaho. It was pretty limited a little bit in California. But by today, right, by 2016, we had over 2.5 million acres of those crops. And so we had this huge increase, and we had Montana and North Dakota come online, huge production areas, the largest production areas now in the country. And they didn't have processing capacity at that time, but they have certainly built it up over the past 15 years. So we have processing capacity where now with the market is after the International Year of Pulses and this huge rise in plant-based food, now we're seeing our crops go more into the ingredient market. And so early on, like 16, 17, we, we had a a shortage of folks that were processing this crop as a protein, as a starch, as a fiber, and turning it into fractions and into flour. We didn't really have that capacity, but that capacity now is building, and there's continues to be more plants built to turn these crops into fractions and ingredients for this growing market. So I'd still say we have a ways to go in that in that area. There's we still need some more capacity because of the growth that's happening domestically. But not only domestically, we're we're seeing growth now. All this product innovation is starting to spread around the world, and uh, we're seeing a lot of consumers interested in, you know, plant-based alternatives to meat or blends. And that requires that these crops be turned into their into proteins or or starches or fiber, and including them as an ingredient into these uh, familiar foods. Yeah. Well, I know one unfortunate issue during this tariff trade war, whatever you want to call it, was sort of the pet food market and kind of what happened there. Can you speak to that, kind of what happened with the pet food market and where that sits currently? Well, you know, the, the pet food market for us over the past 10 years has just rocketed higher. And especially in the last five years with the advent of the International Year of Pulses, people interested in grain-free diets and pulses really benefited from uh, kind of a rocket rise in pet food diets uh, here over the past five years and really over the past 10. And so uh, unfortunately, you know, we had trade tariffs, uh, which severely have damaged prices right now. Most prices for pulse crops, especially peas, lentils, and chickpeas are below the cost of production, frankly. They're not profitable because of trade tariffs. Well, on top of that, the Food and Drug Administration in June of 2018 came out with an announcement of an investigation on dilated cardiomyopathy in dogs. And DCM, as it's called, they saw a a slight increase in uh, DCM in dogs, and they correlated that to grain-free diets. And, uh, you know, I want to state really clearly here that as an organization, we really support FDA's investigation of uh, dilated cardiomyopathy. It's been an issue in dogs for actually quite a number of years, predating any grain-free diets we have since found out. But uh, the FDA made a decision in how they announced this investigation to name uh, peas, lentils, and other legume seeds in the first paragraph of the announcement uh, stating that they were investigating grain-free diets, which include peas, lentils, other legume seeds. They had potatoes in there as well. And so that caused a, a media storm, whereas later in their announcement, they actually state correctly that they really don't know the cause of dilated cardiomyopathy. And it's stated at the bottom of the announcement. But Tim, no one reads the bottom of the announcement, right? What they read was the first paragraph, 
which said, whoa, peas, lentils, and other legume seeds, like beans and chickpeas, must be bad. When in fact, there's no scientific evidence showing that these crops have any impact on dilated cardiomyopathy. In fact, we've been feeding pulse crops in pet food diets for well over 50 to 60 years. So it's surprising to us as an industry that a single ingredient would be blamed for this uh, issue that, you know, an an important issue in uh, a dog's health. And so what we've appealed to the FDA and and continue to, uh, to appeal is, you know, when you're making, when you do, we support the investigation and actually will be supporting and are supporting research to find a solution to this. But uh, we felt that we were really, the industry was really treated quite unfairly because they really don't have any evidence, but yet the announcements keep highlighting that you need to be basically beware, or that's what the consumer sees. And so it's caused consumer confusion, and it's actually caused a, a really significant decline in our sales to the pet food industry because of the way they've handled this. And, you know, we met with FDA recently, and uh, they are actually now, they've told us, uh, we're not coming out with any new announcements until we do have more firm scientific evidence. And we said, you know, really appreciate that. We, we as pet owners ourselves, want to make sure that, you know, our dogs are healthy and are fed great diets, and we think pulses are part of those diets. But, you know, we need to find out what the actual cause is. Um, and so we're working to resolve that. But the damage has been done. And, uh, you know, we've had pet food formulators now walking away from our uh, products as ingredients because of this cloud that's hanging over this investigation. And so we just kind of, we have trade tariffs, we have uh, the FDA announcement, and uh, we have very poor prices. But it doesn't mean I'm not optimistic. I'm actually incredibly optimistic about the future of these crops. I think we're in this low trough right now. We've had a few blows that we've taken, but we will rise from the ashes because these are terrific crops for your health. They're terrific crops for a plant and soil health. And we're not going to be in the ditch here forever uh, because these are just too important uh, of crops uh, for an agricultural system. Yeah, absolutely. And I think with not only with the rise of the plant-based eating, but with the rise of regenerative agriculture, you know, these crops seem uniquely suited to benefit from both of being part of the biodiversity and the rotations for a regenerative system, plus obviously in demand for those crops. So Yeah, no no doubt that we are a key component uh, to the, you know, the regenerative ag movement because these crops fix their own nitrogen in the soil. And because they leave nitrogen in the soil for the following crop, and they break weed and disease cycles. Uh, again, you know, as a farmer myself, these are a critical part of my cropping system. It, you know, I need cereal grains, I need brassicas, I need pulse crops in, in my cropping system for good biodiversity as well as just a sustainability component on my own farm and to make sure my soils are in really good health. So... You know, this is uh, this is an interesting. You know, I, I must say that you know that, that 2016 and then uh, the in the couple of years after, you know, we were or leading up to th- 2016, we were definitely at the top of the mountain, <laughs> and and uh, since the trade tariffs and this FDA announcement, we've 
you know, we're, we're sitting in the valley right now, but we're not going to be down there forever. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, we've discussed a lot of them, I'm sure, but what else is sort of top of mind for you right now in leadership of this, this industry? Um, obviously, the farmer profitability that we've discussed with these issues is, is first and foremost, but what else, uh, what else are you, you wrestling with right now or looking at for the future? Well, I think uh, we're trying to make sure that the farm safety net for our producers is as strong as possible during these really low prices. And, but we're really looking toward the, the future, and we will come out of this downturn. No one knows how long that's going to take, but we will because the trends are in our favor. And so what's important to us as an organization and you know, a, a coalition of farmers, processors, and exporters, and, and food manufacturers is how can we lay the groundwork for future success And one of those is uh, like what we're doing here this week is we're having our annual research review and uh, we have terrific research projects from terrific agronomic projects to uh, crop management issues that we need to deal with to make sure that our our growing community, our farmers are positioned to, you know, raise high quality disease free products that that put as much nitrogen back into the soil Two, you know, research that's talking about product innovation and how we can uh, fit these crops better into a mainstream uh, food choices and dealing with uh, quality issues. You know, how can we, and, and health issues, uh, promoting these crops, showing the health benefits uh, to our consumers, whether they be pet or animal or, or human, what this could mean to overall health care in this country and reducing those costs that is a primary target for us. I mean, imagine, you know, uh, the billions and billions, I think it was like three or almost $400 billion that we spend on, you know, weight management and the associated diseases with that come with weight management, heart disease and diabetes. If we could improve our diets and improve the dietary fiber that we're getting into our own bodies, Think of the healthcare savings that could be spent on other things besides medical care and the, the bonus that would be to our overall economy. So, you know, I'm, these are terrific crops to have in your diet, and we need to eat a whole lot more of them. And, and I hope to appeal to your audience that, you know, increase. We have a, a little slogan here at the half cup habit, and uh, my farmers joke with me right now that, you know, a half cup. Right now in the USDA uh, dietary guidelines, uh, they recommend a half cup of pulse crops, one and a half cups of pulse crops per week in your diet. And uh, right now today, you know, our farmers are saying that needs to be the three cup a day, uh, you know, the, not only a half cup a day, but a whole cup a day in order to bring us out of this, this downturn. But the truth is we don't consume a half cup, three half cups uh, in, in a cup and a half a week right now. And if we did, it, it would have a, a huge impact on our industry, but also a huge impact on uh, people's health. So you heard the man get out there and start eating some more of these pulses. <laughs> In all seriousness, thanks so much to Tim McGreevy, CEO of the American Pulse Association, for being so generous with his time and kicking off the Growing Pulse Crops podcast. I think that overview will provide some fantastic context as we dive into some of the unique aspects of growing these crops in future episodes. We want you to be there, so make sure you're subscribed to this podcast in iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher or wherever it is you get your podcasts. I think we're on all the platforms by now. This show is brought to you by the Pulse Crops Working Group with support 
from the North Central IPM Center. We're releasing two of these episodes every month of the growing season, so we look forward to bringing you the next episode in a couple weeks. Mm-hmm.